Welcome, everybody, inside the Celtics Lab Podcast. I'm Mark Allison here with my man Justin Quinn of Double Clutch and Celtics Wire, and my man Cam Tabatabai of Celtics Hub and Off the Glass. What's going on, guys? Still here. Much? Still here, yeah. Yeah, that's what we're doing. So, yeah. So, uh, the same place as last time. <laughs> right. Uh, so, some strange times, guys. Uh, obviously, uh, the last pod that we recorded was this pandemic was uh, rearing up, and, uh, you know, we're still locked down from basketball and, and pretty much everything else that we're used to uh, doing. So hopefully we can uh, take your minds off of the craziness that's going on uh, across the whole world today. Um, what about you, got, man? That, doing all right. You know, um, you know what are you going to do? It's uh, it's a little tough. I'm locked down with a uh, 20-month-year-old in my house, so that, that's not ideal. Uh, you know, the... Uh, <laughs> Tell us when how it you rains, really feel. <laughs> when, it, when it rains and you can't go outside, fine. But, uh, you know... The uh, the rainy days are, are tough ones for you sure. Powerpoints. Uh, it, yeah, it's hard to explain. Brain. You know, it's hard to explain to him why it is that we can't do anything outside of the house. But, anyways, um, basketball news is uh, scarce these days. Obviously, we're trying to scrape from some of the stuff we got going on. Um, as, as far as Celtics news goes, um, we had some issues with the uh, Garden staff being laid off. Justin, any uh, anything on that? Yeah, that is a really complicated situation. Um, I'm not real crazy about how it's been handled. I am happy that the the Celtics paid their their game night employees. I wish, like you know, some of the other teams around the league, they would go the extra mile. Uh, like some of the players have been, you know, supporting people locally. We see the owner of the Garden, which is not the Celtics, unlike a lot of arenas. Um, Jeremy Jacobs, Delaware North. Uh, he also owns the Boston Bruins. Um, he has this, uh, he, he finally caved in, when I say caved, I put that in quotation marks and gave them a, if they never resume the rest of the seasons involved, then they will get a part of a $1.5 million fund. Uh, and they get a week's paid, um, salary and six weeks of benefits, which is good. It's, you know, it's definitely better than nothing, but I mean, for somebody who bought the, this arena for millions, and is now, you know, holding a property that is worth billion, like over a billion dollars. Uh, I'm, I'm not particularly sympathetic to him losing money, no matter how he's losing money. Those workers built that. I'll get off my soapbox. <clears throat> but we do have some other news to talk about also. Um, since we last potted, uh, former Celtic Jason Collins revealed he has a COVID-19 diagnosis. Uh, he is relatively well last time I checked. Um, his partner also has the same situation going on. Um, but on a more positive tip, all the Celtics besides Marcus Smart tested negative, and he appeared on CNN. An awesome thing for him to do. He basically went on advocated for people to stay at home, related his condition, really opened up a lot of people's eyes, I think, about the seriousness of the situation in the same kind of a way that Rudy Gobert's initial diagnosis did. So I think that was really cool of him. He's only really been on social media a couple times since to let us know that he's still okay and to continue advocating for people to, to, you know, physically distance themselves and to remain in their homes and self quarantine as much as possible. Obviously not everyone can particularly essential workers, but super critical thing going on. And the last thing I think maybe we should just touch on real briefly before we dive um, into some, some of the things that could change from this pandemic is just uh, that there is a new test that is on site for the coronavirus that might conceivably, if it can be made available to enough people, uh, allow for same-day same testing that would allow everyone to be fairly secure in the knowledge that nobody has the virus and no one is at risk. So 
I don't know. Any thoughts on that, guys? Uh, I mean, I'll reiterate what I said before we got started, which is we are not authorities on this, but thankfully, uh, smarter people <laughs> than us three have been <laughs> yeah, using their voices for good. Um, so I would commend anyone who needs a deeper dive on best practices and the latest news. Uh, Anthony Fauci, Dr. Anthony Fauci, uh, I think was on Instagram, had a long conversation with Steph Curry. My question is, like, what needs to happen in terms of, you know, the numbers or what metric are you looking at to be able to then determine uh, at mass that, you know, large gatherings, sporting events, those type of things are okay to, you know, revisit as, as not a threat to uh, continue you know, the spread of the virus? That's a great question, Steph, and, and that's what we deal with on a daily basis when we sit down in the situation room with the White House every day to go over that. What you need is you need to see the, the trajectory of the curve start to come down. Um, Mark and I were uh, gushing about how good he also was with Trevor Noah. So uh, we're smart when it comes to talking about basketball. But I would this is out of our league. I, I would say that's even that's debatable. But yeah. <laughs> yeah. That was a good rundown of the news as best yeah. as we're qualified for anyways. Yeah, for sure. What are we going to do season-wise, Justin? What what are, we, what are we looking at? Is there, you know, if it's a month from now, like two months from now? I mean, how far into the summer could they actually go, you know, if they restarted the season in some form? Well, I think that they can't go too, too late into the summer. I think once you get to – what I've been hearing is – and I'm not an expert on this either. I don't know if anyone is really an expert on this at this point um, in terms of when to restart the schedule. But in – August, I think it would be probably the most late we could realistically restart the season and then still have time to regroup and start the next season afterwards. There is, and I know, you know, I'm not an epidemiologist, but I've been in contact with some. Hopefully, I will be able to get a um, medical anthropologist on the show sometime soon to talk about these kinds of things. But what epidemiologists are saying is that this thing could go on for well over a year. And while they may tamp it down enough, uh, and create enough treatments, testing, and such, where a resumption of league activity is not unrealistic. It won't be with fans. So whatever happens, uh, it's going to be a very different landscape, no matter what. Now, I think I think um, Spencer Dinwiddie had a uh, interesting idea when it came to like uh, having a, a like a five game, you know, uh, regroup. I guess you could call it, and then uh, doing some sort of like a tournament style thing. Uh, and now I think he was a little. The numbers wise, I mean, he was still talking about having like seven game series with like every team That's involved, right? which I think is absolutely <laughs> ridiculous. Um, you know, I mean, if there was a way, if there was like a window where they could get in and they had like, let's say a month to to do this, to like finish the season or something, um, you know, playing a few tune up games makes sense. Right. Got to get everybody back, you know, to game speed. And but why not just do a straight up one and done NCAA tournament style thing? I mean, that could be very interesting, but the thing I think we're going to be looking at if they do resume the season at all, whether it's playoffs, even if it's just the playoffs, I think everyone is going to have to be in one location. I don't think there there's going to be any capability for travel, which is going to be a, you know, it's basically a logistical impossibility right. the way things are right now and probably will be for some time. Um, so something like that could work, but I think that realistically what's going to end up happening if we do see something happen 
my personal opinion is that it's going to be just the playoffs. I don't think there's 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 going to be like the playoff teams may play some warm up games. I don't know if there'll be exhibitions or what. Maybe there'll mm-hmm. be play in games for a lot of the other teams and some of the the higher seeded teams are going to end up having buys. I mean, it's going to be very it's going to be a huge logistical challenge. I'm not saying it's impossible for the regular season to restart, but as things progress, I'm increasingly doubtful that a regular season as we know it is going to restart. Maybe something very limited might restart. I don't know. Cam, what do you think? I think it's tricky. I think in the next 8 to 12 weeks, the situation in this country goes from bad to worse. Yeah. Um, and there's some uh, precedent for it quickly rebounding. Um, and Justin, to your point, maybe rebounding in a certain city or region of the country. Mm-hmm. Uh, the moral optics of it are really interesting to me. At, at some point, the idea of normalcy and distraction and uh, even I'd use the word hope in the form of sports would be really um, profound if somehow in July and August when still things are not great, but there is a moment where the country can catch its breath. If there are sports, that could be really um, fantastic. I did hear, uh, it might've been the Bill Simmons podcast where they were saying uh, Labor Day is kind of a hard stop for these uh, arenas so that's when the calculus of like hosting games becomes trickier but uh, at the same time as nice as it would be to have the distraction and the community that sports offers if people are displaced or sick or um, there's a tremendous loss of life I don't know what the optics are of trying to have games down the street yeah. or something like that so I bet really smart People are balancing legalese and contracts and revenue streams. So many things. So many things. My pessimistic guess is that we will not see the continuation of the 2019-2020 season at all. Um, but that's just my read on the situation. It's not necessarily any more informed than anyone else's. I think we also need to take into account the people who are playing these games are people, you know, right. and right. they don't want to go to work if there is a risk. Of, I mean, if things yeah. go really bad, are you going to want to go to work? I'm not going to want to go to work and I work from home. <laughs> and, and, the, and the other thing is, too, like like you were talking about the two cities and, and bringing, you know, the players in for that. I mean, even if we were talking about a month, are people really going to want to leave their families or, or bring their families uh, to a situation and then. I, you know, it, it's it, there's a lot of other variables besides just whether the player wants to play or not. You know, it, it, it's I, I, I'm, I'm with Cam on this. I, I probably this is just like I keep telling my wife about whether school is going to start up again. She's a teacher. She's home. Uh, and I keep telling her I, I wouldn't not, bet on that. You know, so not. and I, I'm I wouldn't bet on this either. And but like Cam said, I mean, what our expertise is limited, obviously. Yeah, I'm not saying it's impossible, but I mean, the logistics are going to be very difficult and very dependent on all kinds of moving factors that are basically impossible for us to predict right now. The episode of, of yeah. podcast. <laughs> Sunshine and unicorns. Oh, man. Let's talk about some of the things that could change because of the pandemic. Um, we, we talked about, you know, the schedule, uh, but there's there's some other things that could happen going forward, even regardless of, of how these games happen. It could 
shorten next season. It could really bleed into, I mean, what happens if we can't get things started by, by Labor Day? I mean, what if, what if things continue and we don't end up getting started until November, December, January, or even further? Also, even if things do go to plan, there's also the issue of like players conditioning themselves. I mean, I, from from my understanding, teams around the league are sending out you know duffel bags of bands and weights and and whatnot for players to work on at home. But a lot of these players they don't even have hoops in their apartment. Because it's an apartment. Where are you going to put a basketball hoop? You know, it's not like they can go out and, and and like find a YMCA. So I don't know. I mean, have you guys thought about like the impact of just what this is going to do to the product we see on the court, even if things do go to plan? I mean, I think the uh, interesting thing for me will be uh, that players that are unhealthy and Ben Simmons, Kevin Durant, Kemba Walker, to an extent, mm-hmm. hopefully will have an opportunity to be at full health. Players like LeBron will be that much older and maybe a little stiffer, but he seems immune to those sort of things. Uh, so it will definitely change, I mean, just the calculus of who is available and who is playing, um, whether it's tournament style, whether it's resumed playoffs this summer, whether it's just we just pick things up with a new season, uh, sometimes six or eight months from now, but at the very least, it is an opportunity for the league to kind of reset itself from a health standpoint, which is kind of a, there's a lot of wrenches in this machine, but that's, that's another interesting one. Yeah. And I mean, and besides you are talking about not only this season, you're talking about how it impacts next year. I mean, what happens with the, uh, with the draft, you know, I, you see the NFL, they're just kind of rolling along as if it's business as usual with, you know, obviously some restrictions, teams can't bring guys in, but they're signing free agents and whatnot. I mean, can they start the league season when they're supposed to? Um, these kids coming out of college and, uh, you know, I mean, do you hold the draft and then you're still waiting for a potential completion of the season in August? I, I think that's going to be a really interesting thing because that, I believe, would probably come up before we'd even be able to play again, right? I mean, it's crazy the news that people are declaring for the draft. I mean, these athletes have to live their lives and advance their livelihood somehow what we don't even know like the order that people are going to be drafting in i'm assuming that the picks are going to just be locked in and the lottery will be held somehow remotely i mean the integrity of of the lot the draft lottery itself is, is an issue i mean you can't really have um, accounting firms come in and supervise in the same kind of a way for with a room full of people maybe you can have one person come in and stand far away from the person who is conducting the lottery i mean that that in itself is just a one of many logistical nightmares. I mean, when you get to the draft itself, I mean, it's probably going to have to be like the WNBA draft uh, that is planned in April, where it's going to be the commissioner on Zoom, I'm assuming, or something like that, or Skype or some other kind of telepresence, and all the other people um, who are going to be participating in the draft um, remotely as well, not walking across the stage, no audience. It's going to be very strange. And, you know, you can't really scout or meet or assess prospects in the same kind of a way. It's it's going to be very, very strange to see how this plays out. Luckily for the NBA, the NFL will get to kind of workshop this first. Uh, but, yeah, how it plays out and when it plays out, obviously, is still TBD. 
I mean, how do we market this as a product? You know, this has been a big entertainment product for a long time. Um, and it's just going to, I mean, are they going to have like fake audience noises? I mean, are they just going <laughs> to, I can't really, who's going to boo from the New York contingent, you know? I mean, I think with, with, with everything that they're losing, all these games and everything else, I, I think the draft being, uh, like a, a spectacle is, is, is probably the least of their concerns, you know? Um, True. But, but I mean, at the same time, right. The NFL is going to, they're going to have a crack at this first. And, uh, even d- despite like the NFL, I mean, their timeline is like, th- that's supposed to be coming up in a few weeks, I think. And, you know, not, not, not ideal, obviously, but, um, if they can somehow power through it when we're probably going to be at the peak of this or, you know, um, pandemic or right around there anyways, um, you know, the, the, hopefully the NBA can pick up some stuff from them and, and figure out how they can do it. I mean, it's, I guess the most important thing is getting the guys, you know, in their with their teams and, and how they're going to go forward is, is more important than, you know, and the teams knowing how they're going to go forward next year is more important true. than the spectacle of the draft, right? Very true. I mean, but it's also going to be, you know, more lost revenue. We can jump ahead and talk about lost revenue because the salary cap is going to be affected. There's a lot of hand-wringing, I think, about what it's going to do to the cap. And there, there, there is going to be the need to negotiate. I'm not an expert on this. Um, you want to listen to people like Keith Smith and Ryan Bernardoni to hear what they have to say about these kinds of things. But my understanding is they can negotiate down the salary cap as well as the luxury tax and all these things. So it seems very unlikely that you know half the league is suddenly going to find itself in the luxury tax um, based on a salary cap reduction, based on a loss of what is called basketball-related um, income. And this this reduction in income, is, it's going to be significant. I don't know how big it's going to be. I think it's way too early for people to predict how it's going to play out. But everybody really does have an interest in in making this work because we saw that the cash cow that the league has been for the entirety of the last CBA and all of this one so far. Um, so it's really not a good idea to, to kind of, you know, poke around with that. But one interesting f- aspect of this is usually when there is like a lockout kind of a situation, it's the players who are at a disadvantage because the season is yet to come and no one's got their paychecks. But now everyone has got their paychecks uh, minus the last one of the year, I believe. So really, it's the owners who are kind of at a disadvantage. But I mean, I think it's pretty optimistic based on just how things have been going that they are going to really come to the table and earnestly work that. Though some comments that were made by Jalen Brown in a recent interview saying that this was more complicated than some people realize it could be um, has me a little concerned. You guys heard anything about this or have any thoughts? Well, my immediate reaction is that ratings were already down and by all accounts, the situation with Daryl Morey in China was going to cut into um, the annual revenue of the uh, the league so i think the cap projections were going to be down anyways and now it's it's going to be down a lot uh, a lot <laughs> it's gonna it's gonna have to take again there are experts on this but i don't think anyone really knows what's going to happen because you can't reduce the salary cap so much unless you grandfather in extensions and contracts i mean it's just yes. so a calculus here is phenomenally difficult i don't I don't know how you trade for Chris Paul now if the salary cap drops $15 million unless they have some sort of 
uh, waive prorating existing contracts or something like that. Force majeure, perhaps. I don't know if that goes forward as well. It's uh, you know definitely not something I'm very particularly well versed in. So other things related to this that could change. Uh, Team USA, Team Shamrock, probably going to be affected in some way. Um, Coach Popovich and Brian Colangelo, Brian Colangelo's dad, are still going to be uh, related to Team USA. So that is good. They have delayed the Olympics for at least a year, maybe longer. Who knows how that will turn out. Um, But what if the league schedule doesn't match up with the Olympics anymore, you know? I mean, if they move to start in December, even if it's just for one season because of things, then we may find ourselves in a situation that, you know, NBA players, period, not just for the United States, but around around the entire <coughs> Olympics is, is not possible anymore. Besides that, there's also free agency. I mean, Gordon Hayward, for example, could opt out or opt into a contract at the end of June 29th. What's going to happen with that? Well, I'm not sure Gordon Hayward's going to be opting out of anything with the uncertainty of yeah. <laughs> what the league's going to look like next year. I think if, if you had any doubts if he was going to opt into that last year of his contract, I think that's uh, that should be gone. Fair. But I mean, just like even in I'm just using him more as an example. Oh, I, I understand. You know, contracts are supposed to end before the season may restart. So, I mean, they're going to have to extend that, but then they have to negotiate that as well. Again, I think most people are going to negotiate, but um, on, a, on a recent podcast uh, featuring Larry Kuhn, on, I think it was a Dunked On podcast, they discussed the, the possibility of someone like, for example, um, Coach Mike D'Antoni being in a situation where he could seriously leverage his situation. You know, like if you want me to come back, then you need to you need to pony up now uh, for me to to coach your team because my co my my contract was is up. So you can you can either have your assistant coach. For, for a championship or or um, I'm walking, you know there there's it's it's going to be very interesting and you know maybe there's legal language in those contracts that we're not aware of that will you know have already remedied that. There's a lot of uncertainty going on between all these different things. Maybe maybe we should turn to something that we don't have to worry about the certainty <laughs> of the situation <laughs> and go right to the past. Uh, we came up with a very unusual but hopefully interesting idea uh since we are clearly way out of the the rebuild we 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 got to talking in one of our group chats about some of the people who were really like the unsung heroes that that kept us going through the most recent stretch of bad basketball for celtics fans um it wasn't no basketball it wasn't the lockout it wasn't anything like that but you know watching the rebuild happen we really had to to turn to some interesting characters to get us through the day uh between 2013 and i don't know we'll say like 2017 or so um as an arbitrary number for when the rebuild or arbitrary date when the rebuild ended so we thought we would do kind of like a a three-man draft to put together since, you know, the big three is doing um, an online tournament, I guess you could say, a virtual tournament. Uh, at least that's the plan. We're going to do our own uh, virtual tournament and come up with some names and some teams based on the criteria we each value. Um, I'm going to go with a three-man team uh, based on narrative, and so they're going to be the narratives. You guys have any thoughts on how you're going, you're going to draft uh of these these uh, unsung heroes of the rebuild. Uh, I'm not gonna show my cards too much, but I have a mix of players I just kind of like, 
players that would be good in a three-on-three tournament and uh, players that I just think deserve recognition. Okay. Mark? Yeah, I'll uh, I'll save my uh, team name for, for the end. I actually got to see if I get the guys I want, so... Oh, I, I may have put myself at a disadvantage. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So, in alphabetical order, bling, bling. Uh, Cam, I believe. All right, well, with the first overall pick, I'm going to break the rules because the frame of the game is unsung heroes of the early Brad Stevens years. And I think that, at least in Boston, this hero is actually pretty well sung. Uh, but I'm going to draft Evan Turner with the first overall pick. I'm very um, sad. He, <laughs> yeah. Uh, <clears throat> there were just so many times in like the 14, 15, 15, 16 season where he had preposterous game-winning or game-tying shots, including three-point shots, and he is not a three-point shooter. He brought a lot of charisma to a team that was kind of in flux, uh, and he's just one of the premier personalities in the NBA. So I'm very happy to welcome him onto my... I I mean, realistically speaking, the team name is going to be called the Evan Turner Experience, but uh, (laughs) I reserve the right to change that until the draft fully shakes out. But right now, Evan Turner, welcome to the Evan Turner Experience. Very cool. Not for me, because that was my top choice, obviously, with the narratives. Uh, So I'm going to have to go uh, with the second overall pick, to pick Shablik Randolph. Uh, in those, Yeah, I know. But, I mean, for me, I'm going for narrative. <laughs> okay, it's, it's let, your time, it's out, your time to shine. Let's hear it. <clears throat> so, in those those days, this was the, the beginning of the rebuild, if we're being honest. The, the only thing we really had going for us at that time was the incredibly obnoxious, at times, um, you know, lunch pail hard hat narrative working class uh you know we're gonna show up and and do our thing and a guy who turned a pair of 10 day contracts into an end of season um contract and really became a significant contributor granted on a terrible team um i think i think that that is one of the best narratives available um i've got a couple others in mind uh but we'll see if those guys are around mark all right, so I'm, I'm even going beyond Cam here with when it comes to a guy who was uh, maybe not considered uh, uns, unsung, so to speak, but uh, I have some reasons for this. Um, I, my first pick, I'm taking Rajon Rondo, and I understand you guys are going to say, well, obviously Rondo was, uh, you know, star player for the team for some time, but I think what happened when Rondo, I mean, he was coming off that knee injury uh, in Brad's first season. Uh, I don't think he played until, what, February or January of that year? He only played about 30 games that year. But the way that, you know, we saw Rondo be problems on teams before. And the way that he handled, you know, coming in, he was playing with these young guys who were in the midst of a, you know, terrible season, obviously. We won 25 games that first year uh, with Stevens, with all those young guys. It was Rondo and, what, Brandon Bass, um, Bradley had played the year before, too. Um, and then, you know, coming into that second season, uh, you know, he, he was trying – he got his health behind him. He had that um, mishap, in the, the falling down in the shower, right? Oh, uh, yeah. He was supposed to miss – he was supposed to miss eight weeks with that. This was at the end of September. Uh, he rushed himself back. He was there for opening night that year. Um, 
and again, he only played until uh, midway through December. I think the Celtics were like nine and fourteen at the time. So I mean, you know, um, not not a great record by any stretch. But um, you know, he he was. I think he was averaging a double double at that time too. Um, you know, he, it was a contract year, so obviously Rondo wanted to play. But I, I just think that the way that he set the tone, uh, he accepted what Brad was doing. Here we are coming from a guy. Um, from the college ranks, coming to the NBA and, um, you know, becoming he, him, you know, we, we know obviously what happened later that year in Dallas with an experienced head coach and Rondo <laughs> flashing. So, I mean, for him to accept Stevens and, and really like fall in line uh, for a guy who's not necessarily known for that, I thought that was really important to set the tone going forward with, with some of the other guys and some of the guys that were on those teams that stuck around for, you know, a few years. Can I offer what is patently a rumor and not sourced at all, but I heard about the Rondo injury? Yeah, please. The shower, I, the shower incident, the quote-unquote shower. Well, I remember this was so this was 2013, so this was on the earlier days of social media use. I saw a picture of Rajan Rondo at the trampoline park in down. Yes, the I remember that. Yeah, that was yes. that was that was all the rage on sports radio around here at the time. Yeah, Someone all right, good. I'm glad I'm not the only one telling tales out of so school. I do, yeah, so I don't necessarily buy the shower falling incident, but for for him <laughs> for him to. Uh, my, my thing was for him to get back for that season opener when he was supposed to be out for two months. Uh, oh, totally. Four weeks no, away. Actually, he was on my list. I wondered if I was allowed to two. Have yeah, two. well, I didn't know if I was either. But when you know, you you kind of solidified the case. Evan Turner. So, I mean, you know, I mean, it, it it wasn't so much like Rondo's ability, but more or less the attitude that he brought that I thought was unsung. Absolutely. Sure. All right, Commissioner Quinn, are we going? Uh, is it my turn again? Or are we doing Snake? It is. It is. All right. Second overall pick. Ooh, I have a lot on my board, a lot of names that I want to shout out and a lot of players that I want to play for my team. Hmm. I mean, I'm just going to take best available talent, I think, uh, before anyone else can step in. And with, this, with my second pick uh, for the Evan Turner experience, I'm taking the December 2013 Eastern Conference Player of the Week, Jordan Crawford. Damn. Nice. That, was my next, that was my next pick. <laughs> yeah, uh, there's not much to say there. Uh he at in moments when Rondo was out, he was averaging anywhere between like ten. In that week where he's player of the week, he averaged twenty three point three points, six point one assists, and three rebounds, uh, leading the Celtics to a three and record for the week. Yeah, that speaks for itself. I don't need to say more. Hey, I have Jordan Crawford and Evan Turner. My team is looking great. <laughs> <laughs> Well, my my player is a mixture of fit, but also narrative. Uh, he was um, Shane Larkin before Shane oh, Larkin. Nice. Phil Pressy. Very, very awesome. He's he's on my depth chart. <laughs> and just because of the narrative, but also because, you know, I need a point guard, and he's probably, arguably, one of the best left. Maybe not the best, but when when I incorporate narrative, I think that, that makes him the choice. All right, so I'm going with an, uh, another name that most people know. Uh, my my uh, my second pick. I'm going to take Gerald Green. Nice. Now, obviously, he had the uh, awesome playoff. Uh, you know, came back in in that Chicago series. Um, but again, uh, like Rondo, here's a guy who came in. I think he was 30 at the time. He came into a team with a bunch of young guys, and 
he was essentially the 12th man on the roster. Uh, it was him and Zeller for the, you know, 11 and 12th with minutes. And um, Zeller certainly played more games than, than Gerald Green did. Um, he was basically used, he, he was there like crack in case of emergency. And, and what I would imagine is a guy like Gerald was probably talked into playing on that team on the, in the assumption that he would be able to earn some, you know, a role. And uh, he never really got that. And then to still be ready to play when it came to the uh, postseason and they needed him um, and he played well and he earned himself a, a, a legitimate spot with that good Houston team the following year based on that play. Um, I think he probably should have been playing more that year, but given the young guys and, and was probably, I mean, probably the best thing for the team's future, but um, for him to sit through that and, and then still be ready when called upon, uh, I think that's uh, pretty dope. Indeed. I can respect that. All right. Um, well, I'm going to use this moment to just remind everyone of those uh, sleeve, those gray sleeve jerseys the Celtics wore in the early Brad <laughs> oh, Stevens years. God, no, and, I hate and, those. <laughs> and I'm not drafting them because they looked like pajamas. Uh, I kind of liked the sleeve jerseys, if, if we're being honest, but the Celtics ones were just yeah, horrendous, unnecessarily bad. They were, they were def. I would the worst ones. They had to be. I, I don't remember all the jerseys that had sleeves, but they were the worst ones that I saw. All right, for uh, my final pick for our unsung heroes in the Brad Stevens era, big three. Uh, I'm gonna think out loud for a second because there are names that I want to have a moment in the sun, but realistically, I should pick a big man. I guess I'll wait, and if you guys don't circle around to these names i can just shout them out or maybe people should check out celtics hub later this week which uh, that's that's called the tease uh in the biz we call that a tease uh okay with my final pick you know what i'm gonna i'm gonna pick chris humphreys uh nice. i went through uh some footage from the 1314 season and he wasn't bad I mean, the, the team wasn't that good, but, I mean, as far as bad teams go, he was making an impact uh, on both ends of the ball. So, yeah, my unsung heroes of the Brad Stevens era, uh, barring any sort of trade, I mean, have Jordan Crawford, Evan Turner, and Chris Humphreys rounding out the Evan Turner experience. Justin, the pick is yours. Well, I'm going to go with, I think, a combination, again, of fit and narrative. Uh, I, I need somebody who is going to be a wing, and who is better as a wing on the available names than the Swedish Larry Bird? Oh, lovely. Jonas Cherebko. Yeah, I support I support that pick pretty emphatically, actually. Yeah, now, I think we all appreciate Jonas. I don't. Do I need to sell him? I mean, I I, I feel you know in terms of fit, you know, with, with Shav grabbing the boards, Pressy running the point. I feel I feel he is, you know, a, my team is going to have some defensive problems, big defensive problems. But three on three, I'll survive. All right, I really wanted the last pick, so I'm so glad this worked out this way. And with the final pick in the uh, the big three Celtics Sir Elephant draft, I'm going to take backup point guard Keith Bogans because <laughs> he launched the Brad Stevens era by signing that sign and trade to to solidify the uh, the trade the uh, the trade that landed us 
um, uh, you know, Jason Tatum and, and Jalen Brown. And, uh, well, I guess by some measure, Kyrie Irving, too. Uh, but um, him him signing that five, it was a five, I think it was a $5 million. I don't know if it was a mid-level exception, but to basically just be traded and then sit on the bench. I mean, I remember the Celtics just kind of told him in January that year that he could just go home. Like, he didn't have to play anymore. <laughs> like, I mean, that which is just awesome. I mean, like, uh, you know. Friendly AK. It was probably the most money he made in any season in his career. I don't know that for a fact. I'm just guessing, being that he was a backup. Feels like a reasonable guess. I mean, but the guy played for a long time. I feel like he was in the league for at least like 10 years. So um, to go out on that high note and then just to be like sent home in January, like awesome. Like you can't. That's. That's a great way to end it, too, man, because, I mean, he really is the linchpin. Had he been like, nope. It might have still happened, but yeah, I don't know how different. they would have. They, they needed a player that they right. I mean, I, I don't know. I don't know. The, you know, I don't remember the entire roster that they had at that point. I'm sure. I'm sure they could have figured it out some way, but um, <laughs> but hey, he was the finishing touch on that deal. Billy King might have, you know, come to his senses, <laughs> or at least somebody telling him what to do, if not him, uh, which is more likely the case. But I mean, yeah. God forbid. Nice way to end. Um, anything we are working on? Um, Cam? Yeah, my hope is to take this uh, thought experiment and turn it into an article for Celtics Hub. I recently just made a all uh, basketball movie starting five on Off the Glass. So if anyone's hungry for content, I'd steer you in that direction. Oh, please, definitely. I will have to check that out. Uh, Mark, I know you're not doing much writing these days, but are you, you still uh, producing independent films in this current environment? Is that even possible? I mean... Uh, no, no, it's not really possible. <laughs> no, <it's> not. <laughs> that was a rhetorical question. Yeah. I'm kind of sitting on you know, writing independent films and, and not making them right now. Well... As y'all know, uh, this is going to be up on Celtics Wire uh, soon, and you can find it there as well as on any podcatcher apps. Please be sure to subscribe so you never miss an episode. And if you like what you hear, please rate us five stars. If you don't like something or have a suggestion, let us know what to do with a comment on Twitter with a hashtag CLPOD. CL Pod. We are always trying to bring you the deepest dives into Celtics coverage, even when there isn't anything to cover like now thank y'all for uh, hanging out with us today and um i don't know stay safe stay inside if you can and wash your hands later guys <laughs>